Master Key of Wisdom. And we're currently on Chapter or Step 4. We also do these uh, Master Key classes uh, via video as well, and that should be accessible so you can watch the video. And what's happening is I am providing commentary based on my experience with this uh, with Grandmaster and being taught these principles directly, which we refer to as a direct transmission. So I'm not going to just read the book verbatim because I'm pretty sure you can do that yourself. So what I'm going to do is provide commentary based on the life experiences I have as it relates to the specific key or specific teaching. You'll also notice, as I mentioned in the last class, uh, the video class last week, that on the left-hand side, if you're looking at the book, you'll see there's calligraphy. <coughs> Pardon me. <clears throat> and that calligraphy was literally made by Grandmaster, actually eternal Grandmaster, which means he has passed, right? Once you pass, you become an eternal master or an eternal Grandmaster. So we had these uh, calligraphy hanging up throughout our uh, training centers and our Anjas ashram type. And uh, so we uh, basically, since I was a, a young man, uh, 16 years old, we looked at these hanging in the various studios and halls. And so, you know, united we stand and divided we fall. And all of these principles you'd be surrounded with. And the theory behind it was the principles themselves would be there. And now, if you've gone through any of this training, like the eight vessels or a lot of this, Qigong was very intense, what they call Qigong training. And you would be burning, you know, like if you've ever done yoga maybe and you're in a warrior posture for five minutes, it, it burns. It gets your attention. And you're sitting or standing in this case and you're gazing at these things, you know. And what happens is there's almost a subconscious burning that happens because it's basically a controlled trauma when you're in these postures your body is experiencing a little bit of or a tremendous amount of discomfort. And it's almost a way of programming, if you will, you psych psychologically and subconsciously. Uh, so when I look at these, you know, uh, these calligraphy uh, uh, drawings, it's kind of like a little uh, mind seal that kind of sends you back to the moment. So I'll just give you a little insight on that. So they're not just some random characters in the book. These are very specific and significant characters. So let's go ahead and look at the concept of leaving behind the good seeds. I'll read like maybe the first page and then I'll just go through the highlights for you as they again pertain to my personal experience with uh, the great uh, grandmaster. So the fourth step of Mudo is to prepare to leave behind a legacy of good seeds for your children and coming generations. We come into the world with nothing, gather our material goods for a time, and then leave the world with nothing. To be remembered, we must leave behind a spiritual legacy of balance, harmony, peace, joy, and great internal and external power. This is the good fruit with the good seeds. These are the principles of creating such a legacy. So, number one, I'll go through the bullets on page 78. Life is a challenge for good and for bad. It's your choice. That's very actually profound. And I've, you know, heard it said to me many, many times. And, well, there's different things that will come up in life, of course, where you're forced to make a decision. 
you know, and what's going to be the long-term impact on this and those around me. But really what it points to is a principle even greater, and that's the principle or concept of free will. Really what's happening is, as a human being in the human realm, we hold a unique opportunity and position as a being of free will. Now, you might take it for granted, but really, uh, if you look at the different realms of manifestation or existence as it relates to the Taoist and Buddhist tradition, there's a human realm, but above the human realm is like the saint kind of realm, the demigod realm, and then god realm. Below, there's an animal realm, then the hungry ghost realm, and demon realm. Okay, now these realms uh, basically will, uh, sure, manifest here in, in life, but also in different realms, but actually in your life. You can be in this life and actually be living in a hungry ghost realm, more like an addict, or an animal realm, more like a violent criminal kind of thing. But when you're in those states or in those realms, you don't really enjoy free will. Even a saint doesn't have free will. They're compelled to do the right thing, if you will, or adhere to the way, you know. And so a human being is unique in which it has choice. And that realm of free will creates what we have now. And a lot of people will struggle with that because they'll say, hey, you know, if God was such a good being, how can they allow such suffering? You, you'll hear that a lot. I don't believe in God because no God would create, you know, such a, a shit show of a reality that causes so much suffering. Look at war. Look at famine. You can go on and on. Yeah, well, God isn't. It's free will. God gave you the free will. The Tao gave you the free will. And so when you want the free will, you have the choice. You know, and that's the price we pay. Also, there's that spark. The only other creature that has a free will would be the God realm. So when you say we're made in the image of God, well, do we look like God? Not, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't. I can't guarantee it. There's some, you know, Sumerian teachings that will argue that. I think it has more to do with the image of that which can create. Now, a cow cannot make a condominium. You know, it's just not what happens. They kind of reproduce. They may duplicate, but they don't create. So there's this creative spark that a human being has. That is free will. And so you can go deep and argue that's where the war in heaven came from. If you know anything about that, where it's like, hey, why would you give these talking monkeys free will? They're not qualified. Let's prove it. We can go down that rabbit hole one day for hours. But when we start talking about, you know, for good or for bad, that's the opportunity to earn. It's to show that, you know, given a choice, given the wheel, if you will, you won't crash. And that's how we talk about, like, earning the opportunity by choosing the Indan or Chengdu path. Uh, the next concept would be the candle is needed in the darkest place. The darkest place is not outside, but inside, near and within you. And they, you know, give you a little story of where should I put the candle. Well, yes, the hardest thing to see in the room is you. You know, it's very easy to see everybody else's, you know, flaws, everybody else's shortcomings, but it's almost impossible to look at yourself. You know, mirrors are painful things. So when it comes to uh, becoming aware and uh, uh, activating awareness, it's really about turning the light around, as put in the Taoist text, and looking at yourself. Now, it's an interesting thing because it involves ego death. It kind of sucks to look at yourself and really take the ownership. But 
that's also where you realize free will, and that's also where you realize you have control. You always have a choice, accept it, change it, or walk away. And so that turning the light around involves a certain amount of discipline and awareness. And one of the ways that you can cultivate the ability to do it beyond just, you know, reading about it is training. So when you learn and go through the different training, you realize, hey, okay, your knee has to be pointing in the same direction as your big toe. Your shoulders have to be over your hips. Your hips have to be over your heels. The movement will begin in your foot. It's going to be directed by your waist. It's going to be expressed in the air. Oh, no, drop your shoulders. Look, this is – and there's this constant uh, adjusting. So as a teacher and a master instructor, usually, you know, I can kind of tell the strength of someone's ego based on how they can take those corrections. A lot of people will get defensive and say, no, I, I, I'm doing it, or, you know, get frustrated. There's, like, there's people that will laugh because they get embarrassed. There's people that will get all sad, and there's people that get pissed. Generally speaking, when you turn, when you light that candle, you're going to get one of three reactions. And so when you're in the training process, it helps you get used to looking at yourself without judgment. You being able to say, you know what, you're right. You know, oh, yeah, I should do this. And then after a while, you can make your own self-correction. It's almost like get good at being bad at things because there's humility in it. And as long as you can keep to that growth, you have a shot. You're willing to look at yourself. The problem is once we get, I don't know, probably out of college, we kind of stop learning because it's considered a weakness if you don't know. So then you just pump up your ego. And even if you don't know, you act like you do. So therefore, we all grow old, but really few of us grow up. It takes about 58 years to grow up, which means there's those constant turn the light on, light the candle, look at yourself, look at your situation, take ownership for it. You know, no resistance, no attachment, no judgment, and then make the necessary changes. That's that, you know, the, the clarity. You know, my grandmaster always used to say, you know, when we would be talking about bringing in different apprentices and things like that, the first question he would ask is, well, is he clear? And what he meant by that is could they, can he clearly see the uh, value of the path and his own nature? Or is he willing to even look at it? We look at the next thing. Uh, first, illuminate yourself, and then illuminate the path for your family and loved ones, which goes back to put down your, 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 your pink, you know, uh, pussy hat and your uh, protest sign and your BLM T-shirt and all your bullshit and change you first. Make your bed, and you fix you first. If you've got time to protest, you're doing something wrong, because I'm pretty sure you're, you personally are creating a lot of suffering. So, you know, and you're experiencing suffering. If you want to change the world before you get out there and get involved in all this bullshit, change yourself. You stop suffering. You make yourself better. By making yourself better, you're not taking from others. You know, simply said, don't be an asshole. Because that creates suffering. So, no, change you. Change you. And then, just in that, which is almost impossible, will basically help. Help by not hurting. First, do no harm. And that's so difficult. A lot of people, what they'll do is they'll distract themselves. As opposed to turning that candle on themselves and looking at themselves, they will look at whatever virtuing or whatever canceling or whatever moral high ground because now they're looking outward, they're pointing fingers outward, so no one they don't have to look at themselves. 
they don't have to look at, you know, whether or not they've gone through the necessary evolution and how much suffering they're experiencing and creating for others. They don't look at that. They look at the suffering that they have. They have no free will and they are being subjugated. Well, the problem with that is now you don't have a chance. Until you realize that, you know, you have free will, you're hoping someone's going to change something to make you happy. So by taking that control, you have a way better chance of reaching that point of harmony. The legacy of Chengdo is good seeds. The legacy of Pado is rotten fruit, meaning Chengdo, right, upright path. Pado, dark path, a downward path. Good seeds, meaning, well, you know, I put this effort in, and it's removing my suffering and removing the suffering of others. I'm benefiting, and so is in everything around me. That would be a good seed of the Chengdo. The Pado is an instant gratification. It's, well, I'm going to do this for my own personal benefit. And it's really not affecting everybody around you positively. You walk away from the table with more, you know, and which is very kind of common, especially in business. But at the end of the day, you always wind up with less, you know, especially when it comes to you might wind up with more stuff, but you'll have less in the quality of your own, let's say, inner peace and just relationships, you know, ultimately, you know, the things around you. Uh, the next step is uh, – <clears throat> Moving water does not spoil, but stagnant water, you know, waters do. Well, that goes back to the concept of A, continuing to stir the water, meaning continuing to seek wisdom. See, in, in, in the Taoist tradition, water represents the uh, water, water element, you know, zhe, which is uh, basically kidneys, you know, uh, 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 kid, uh, bladder, uh, endocrine system, reproductive, that's all the deepest essence of you. That's really where intuition comes from. And so the, 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 the less inner conflict you have and turbidity in your life, the clearer you can see, going back to that clear. Now, stagnant, meaning there's no growth and no movement, well, it's just going to rot, which goes back to growing old but not growing up. That would be stagnant water the guy that says, well, I've got 40 years of experience doing this. Yeah, well, no, no, you've got about 38 years of doing the same damn thing over and over again and two years of growth. The rest has been rotting, stagnant water. So there's this, you know, constant need to stir and cultivate Ming, M-I-N-G, which then will reveal, that's the water element, the uh, destiny. That's what Ming means which will then show you intuitively your, like, contract with the Tao, what you were brought here, the, why you showed up. That would be revealed. And so that's, you know, where the work comes. Until then, there's always a sense of pensiveness, like, I think I forgot my keys, you know, in the back of your mind, because you know you're, you should be doing something, but you haven't. I heard this one a million times. You can own material things, but you should not let material things own you. And that's why we weren't allowed to have anything. We didn't have anything. You know, uh, it was that was it. You're in the cult. <laughs> you got you know, the uniform you wear. You weren't even allowed to say, you know, like my robe. No, it's not yours. You're going to give that back. The only thing yours is the awareness residing in all of this. Everything else is unstable, impermanent, and you're giving it all back. So it's like, okay, until then, you really couldn't have anything because it'll have you. You're going to attach 
your ego, your self-worth, and your value to your material. And then when the material is gone, you're gone. And that's where fear of loss comes from and anxiety and anger and all of the spirits that we talk about and grief and worry. And it's all based on identifying with material things, material things you can have if they're in service of you. But as soon, it's like everything you own, you really don't own. You're a steward of. You've got to take care of it. And if you don't take care of it, it immediately turns to shit. And if you're not taking care of it, you're paying someone to do so. And that's what happens with a lot of people is they will attach their ego to material things because they seem a little bit more substantial and they seem like they're going to last longer, like a big building or something. And they will, you know, longer than your flesh, but even that is unstable. However, you're not those things. So you're projecting yourself and your value and your power and your worth into those things when, in fact, you're not. You're that which temporarily, temporarily is responsible for them. You earn, sure, you have access, great, but you have responsibility. Not like you can just have access to the, the car, but you've got to make sure it's maintained or it becomes a danger and a liability. So that's a, a very interesting thing that a lot of us forget. You know, you can't have it you, you, if it can have you. And so the first thing you have to have is yourself and realize, you know, that that's the constant. And then everything else is kind of a, a, a temporary heat of your reality. Uh, trust is born in the mind. Trust changes. Faith is born in the heart. Faith never changes. So that's an interesting thing. Because trusting is based on an agreement, and but agreements are based on momentary truth, and momentary truth is constantly changing. You know, faith is based on a deeper awareness principle. Faith is a constant. You know, I, so I, and these are semantics, too. You can flip these words around, but there's a principle here. Like, I have this ladder, and I'm going to go up and down this ladder, I don't know, to fix my roof. And it's been on the side of my house for the whole season. I put it up on the on the uh, against the you know wall there, and I'm going to get up there, and I'm ready to roll. Uh, but I, and I trust it's going to work. Then five runs up, it breaks. <laughs> you know, not until you go up and down do you really have faith. You go up and down that thing a bunch, and you've experienced it, and you've lived it, and you've proved it. Now you can have faith in it. So you know, trust is something that's fine, and it's a good starting point but it has to be something that's beyond something you understand in the mind and something that you've actually experienced in are. And so that's a tough one because a lot of people put, you know, a certain amount of trust in things and people, but the people and things haven't really applied themselves and haven't really been tested during adversity. Usually it's easy to trust things when the conditions are right. It's when the conditions go bad, you're, you're kind of left with what you have. Faith is using your invisible eye to see yourself and your loved ones in the state of ingon humanness at the highest potential. So, you know, it's like you can have faith in someone's intention. You might not trust their actions, but you can have faith in the fact that, you know what, didn't work out, but this is a good person. You know, you can see the the higher intention, and you can even see that, like, the master within them. You can see the highest form of humanness within them. Only as much as, by the way, you can see it in yourself. And then from there, at least it gives you some space. You know, it's like, well, there you go. I see, you know, I'm going to 
like let's let's hold out for the highest potential of this situation and this individual and at least even if it doesn't work out yeah there's no judgment you did the best you could and so then at least it gets rid of being bitter and feeling like somehow you've been betrayed we do that a lot in our relationships we set up these impossible uh, conditions you know like with you know with divorce and things like that it's like so you're going to you know trust that this person is going to be everything you need in the world, and but what you need is going to constantly change throughout your life. And sooner or later, there's going to be, you know, I'm trusting you, and we've made this agreement. But the problem is the agreement is based on a temporary reality. And so really connecting to the individual on a constant, married, not married, whatever, the relationship is there. There's still mutual respect and even love for the person, even though maybe the details of your life may have changed. And the arrangement may have changed. But that doesn't mean you hate the person. You know what I mean? And if they show up at a party, you stomp out of the room. Now you're just a clown because you were basing it on, well, I trusted him. Well, you deserve it at that point because you're very naive. It's, uh, it's all based on temporary truth and a man-made agreement. So but it's still a human being. And there is parts of that human being. Now, don't get me wrong. If they're extremely, you know, negative and Sure, I understand all of that, but in general, still, you know, why judge? Just move on. Don't be subject to it without resistance, attachment, or judgment. Uh, <clears throat> wisdom is making correct decisions in the spirit of faith, you know, and that's like, you know, you're, 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 and even if it's not, it doesn't look like it's the nicest thing in the moment for the person, but you know it's the best thing in the long term for that person and you and more importantly everybody involved you know so it, it takes a certain amount of wisdom to look past the unfortunate details of the situation and you know you make your decisions based on that faith and that will kind of leave you with less of a bitter you know uh, end result within your relationships only through faith and wisdom can you achieve a master key and pass it on when you move along the Chengdu pathway in faith and wisdom, your presence is felt there forever. And again, it's like there's people that the way they manage and the way they deal with the relationships, you know, there's the, there's a certain connection and you can tell there's a certain sincerity and there's a certain awareness and personal cultivation. And even if it's tough, you know, it's like, wow, he was a hell of a boss, but you respect him. And you know deep down inside you didn't do the best you could have and you, you, it didn't work out. So what? And the way you were treated, even though it may have been a little straight, was still just and without a basically personal ridicule or it wasn't personal. And so keeping to that is a real key piece. It's just I'm almost remembering the humanness in the individual and accepting the flaw. That doesn't mean you need to support it or be subject to it, but that does, you know, you shouldn't basically judge it you know there's an old saying i've got the right a budo saying i've got the right to kill you but i don't have the right to judge you <laughs> you know it's like how is that fun how is that nice well that's what they're trying to explain you know what i mean it's like there's a certain amount of wisdom in that where it's like i'll take right action but i'm not going to be mumbling your name when i walk away and cursing you as a matter of fact i'll, I'll have respect for you or compassion for you you know it's just Right action's right action. And so it's like not getting involved when we start talking about true, right, and correct. 
It's really going for the correct thing. And often when you make decisions based on true, your true emotion in the moment, it really affects, you know, the wisdom inside of those decisions. And uh, let's say the faith in the humanity or the in-gun, you know, potential of this, the individuals involved. But again, turning that light around, looking at something without looking at yourself, really. A lot of resentment, a lot of, you know, bad uh, decisions and bitterness comes from not being willing to look at yourself. A lot of things we do, a lot of posturing is, you know, uh, almost like hiding behind a fake ego. Then it creates a lot of insecurity, which then creates a lot of resentment. So the easiest way to dissolve it, I mean, we can talk about it, but it's really what I have found. You've got to move. You've got to train. You've got to push yourself. You've got to find your limit. You've got to see, you know, well, it's during those moments you grow. You polish the soul with the sword, sword being made of the wuxing or five elements. In other words, the human body is comprised of all five elements. And in the Taoist tradition, it's viewed upon as the sword in which consciousness dwells. You'll see that in the samurai tradition as well as they make the katana. There's literally a spirit in it. That's a whole other story. But there's an evolution in the individual that made it. And there's an evolution, of course, in the individual that flings it. So, you know, by, by going through these processes and pushing yourself and, and finding your limit and going a little past it, you develop a little more confidence and self-respect because you're more than who you think you are. We're often just kind of blinded by what people told us we are or what our limited view based on what's popular we should be. It's mostly bullshit. And until you get a chance to apply yourself and really push and then find, oh, wow, I succeeded. I made it through that. That has a big impact on your growth. So there's like, you know, heat and pressure. You want to see what's inside something? Squeeze it. You want to see what's inside of you? Squeeze you. <laughs> you know? Uh, and you'll see. You know, could be juice, could be shit. Either way, keep squeezing. And then, you know, that's how we also remove impurities. But um, each one of these steps, is there really a fourth step? No, there, it's, a, it's an eight. It's an infinity loop. There's really no beginning and no end. We can work on one at a time or all of them simultaneously or one as it's most relevant or pertinent to the situation. Like, okay, this is when I should really look at cultivating this particular key because in this point, it would really benefit me and those around me. So that's basically uh, the, you know, my personal experiences with this. I still recommend if you haven't, read through the, 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 the book itself and, you know, kind of glean the story and try to find what I always do is as I read these, anything really new especially, is I look at uh, how does it apply? You know, can I see this little story playing out in my mind and in my world? and then you'll know it has value. But if it doesn't, then it's not overly valuable. Okay. Does, if anyone has any questions or would like me to expound upon anything, you can hit star two and your hand will pop up on our control panel and we'll bring you on to the call. And if not, that's fine. Uh, this is also recorded and everybody else will have it sent to them. I know a lot of us can't really sit on a call at you know two in the afternoon or whatever time it is to you. And you will get a uh, notice when the next 
lessons coming through, and we'll go through the uh, eight keys. And when we're done with that, guess what? We'll start the Tao Te Ching. And when we're done with that, we'll start the Wen Tzu. It pretty much doesn't end. You know, it's like there's a lot. But I think the foundation is all in these eight keys. If you, if, you know, if that was all you decided to contemplate, read, and study, it would be right there. All right, one second. Nick, you are on the call. Hey, you can hear me? Yes, I can hear you. All right, I never know what microphone is on these things. Oh, I <laughs> uh, Yeah, first, I just wanted to say, uh, obviously, appreciate you showing up and doing your thing. Um, I get a little bit more exposure than everybody else, and... Uh, I'm happy that I can invite people. The, we will get the replays up, and I do encourage, you'll notice, just point out that uh, early on in this whole series, it was like, hey, there's eight steps, but it, it actually makes like a figure eight, and each of these principles you could tie directly back to another principle. And the one that comes up the most often, I think, is is the first one, which is know yourself, which is something we talk about quite often, uh, both in the Grey Wolf, Master Key, and uh, Guardian Academy, et cetera, et cetera. And I say that uh, because if this is your first time listening live or if you're catching a replay, it's your first one, I strongly recommend, even if you've been through it, to go back and listen uh, to one, two, and three, the first, second, and third session. Uh, it is like, what is it, you never... A man never steps in the same river twice type stuff. Uh, so sometimes you get caught in, up. Oh, I'm busy. I already listened to that. I already get it. I strongly recommend. I go back and I reread um, the articles and I re-listen to the audios. Uh, so please do that. If you have been here and you want a higher level of uh, proximity or access or exposure to Mike and or maybe you... Uh, don't like getting your ass kicked up and down, you know, the block like I do sometimes. Uh, uh, Mike's partner, Jason, we do breathing every morning. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. And if you want to make sure you get the replays, uh, you can subscribe to the Gray Wolf, which is the graywolf.substack.com. And you'll get the replays and the invites for the forthcoming chapters. Okay, well, outstanding. Well, thank you for that. And as always, it's great to see so many people on the call. And uh, again, you can catch also the videos. And I look forward to the next call. Until then, be well.